The world knows there's something missing. There's something empty inside. And it's like, I need to, I, I need peace. I need purpose. I need to understand why I'm here. I need to understand what will make me happy. That's what most people are searching for. And, and the reality is there's only one answer. And that is that you embrace who you are, why you're created and why you should be living your life. Before we will ever find the peace of God in our lives, we will first have to know what the purpose of God is for our lives. Why am I here? What is the will of God for my life? What is my purpose? These questions have been pondered by untold multitudes. These may be the single most important questions any of us will ever ask. Fortunately, there is an answer. Unfortunately, the answer is not nearly as complicated as we often make it out to be. Listen in today as Pastor Joplin answers the most important question. What is your purpose? There are going to be at least three or four more messages that follow uh, this morning's message. Um, and each of them will be specific to an area that we must um, comprehend biblically to really apply biblical peace to our lives. I'm going to be preaching on grace. I'm going to be preaching on mercy and a handful of other things. But this morning, what I'm going to deal with is one of the most elementary truths of Scripture. And my hope is that for those of you that are Christians, it will do for you what this has done for me, and that is remind me of the great thing that God has done in my life. Often we just look past. Um, once something's done, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And once we know that we know that we know we're saved, sometimes we lose the wonder of being saved. Sometimes we, you just look past it. You're constantly thinking about, so what's the next thing? And I was reminded of that scripture that says, forget not all the Lord's benefits. And uh, preparing for this message this week reminded me of how great salvation is. And so my hope is for the, those of you that are saved, as we get into this, and we're dealing with some really elementary truths of scripture, that rather than tuning it out, it brings a sense of remembrance to how great of salvation you have been given. And then my prayers, especially this morning, for those that are either here or listening online, that you're still not sure about all of this. You don't understand how it all works. You don't understand what salvation is and how it, why and how it all works. My prayer is that this morning I can make some sense of that. I would argue that before we move forward with you know, the specifics of ways that God applies and promises peace in our lives, the very first thing we have to know is what our purpose is. If you don't know why you're here, it's going to be almost impossible to truly have peace. And that question that is asked here, what is man? It's a question that all of us have wondered at some point or another. As early as Moses um, talking with God, Moses asked this question, and I'm just going to give you the first few uh, words of his question, and that was, who am I? Who am I? It's something all of us have wondered. Who am I? Why am I here? What is... My purpose, why do I exist? It is a question you must be able to answer. 
And I will submit to you that it's really not quite as complicated as we make it. I'm not going to be able to answer the question with specifics this morning, such as, you know, where are you supposed to be working? What should your career look like two years from now? Should you drive a Ford or a Chevy? Should you be a Chiefs fan or a Cowboys fan? It just depends if you want to be really disappointed come playoff season. (laughs) The small things are not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the big picture of life. Who am I? Why am I here? That is what I want to set out to answer this morning. And we see this awesome question in Psalm 8 and verse 4 concerning God and His thoughts towards us with the basic question, who are we that you would think about us? And I want to answer that this morning. I'm going to share with you six biblical truths that will lead you to your God-given purpose. And the very first one is simply this. Man is a created being. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Man is a created being. God says you are created. Verse 7 of Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Bible teaches us that God created man. And I told myself I was going to be really careful this morning not to waste a bunch of time talking about the holes in the theory of evolution. And so I am going to be cautious not to do that, but here's what I am going to say. I absolutely cannot accept that somehow, someway, man formed over billions of years when two atoms collided, somehow formed the earth, and some ooze formed into monkeys who turned into us. I think scientifically speaking, it's utter nonsense. God created us. Now that matters. It makes a difference in how you view life, and you need to understand you were created. In other words, you are not an accident. We are not an accident. We are not some random chance that just happened with no control, and it just by chance took place. No, sir. No, ma'am. You are not a mistake. We are not a mistake. We were created by God. That's the first thing you need to know when we ponder the question of what is my purpose? And I would submit to you that for us to really understand our purpose, we must ask the one who created us. You know, any great invention that's ever happened throughout the years actually had to be explained to everybody who hadn't seen it before. You could take a, the very first car that was ever made with an engine that worked in it and sit it in front of a thousand people that had never seen such a thing and they'd scratch their head and wonder, what is the purpose of this? It looks like a rolling device. Well, the one who created it could step up and say, here's exactly what it is. And here's what I was thinking. And here's what I did to make it. And here's how it works. And then all of a sudden, we know. The same 
concept is true concerning humanity. You want to know what your purpose is? You've got to start, number one, with the solid fact you were created by God. And so the only one who can really perfectly answer what your purpose is, is the very one who created you. Not only is man a created being, but he's the most important of all God's creation. He's more important than the animals. We're more important than the, the, the fish of the sea, than the plants of the earth. Man is God's favorite and most prized of all creation. So much so that God would send his son to die on Calvary's cross and shed his blood so that mankind could be redeemed. God did not do that for the animals. He did it for mankind. He did it for you and I. This ultimately teaches us, it gives us a clue that man was created to be in a relationship with God. That's ultimately what it's about. I told you I'm not going to be dropping any earth-shattering news this morning, but we need to really think about it from a biblical context. Man was created to be in a relationship with God. This is ultimately what God is after. Look what Colossians 1 and verse 16 tell us. Speaking of the Lord, it says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created. Look at these last few words, through him and for him. You were created through him or by him is another way to say that. And here's the important part, for him. That's what you were created, was for God. We've got to start there. I told you I'm talking big picture this morning. You've got to start there. You want to know what your purpose is? You want to be able to say, why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I created to do? The first thing you need to know is, yes, you were created by God, and you were created for Him. The next thing that we need to know this morning, number two, is that man is an eternal being. Man is an eternal being. I want us to look at the same verse we looked at in Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature or living soul. Your body will return to the ground that it came from, but your soul will live forever. You are an eternal being. You need to know that this morning. You're an eternal being. When I ran those numbers that I ran earlier, it's amazing to think how small they are on the grand scale of eternity, and it puts a great importance on what little time that we do have. But make no mistake about it, what little time we do have is like a little blip on the radar of our eternal who we are. You will live forever, either in hell or in heaven. Those are the only two final destinations of mankind. There is no in-between. There is no middle place. There's, there's hell for those who reject their creator, for those who refuse to turn to Jesus. And there is heaven 
for those who have placed their faith in the Son of God. But that is it, brothers and sisters, and you are an eternal being. Understanding that we are eternal beings, um, it, it changes some things about the way that we should live our lives. You hear me say this quite frequently, that you've got to go to work, you've got to pay your bills. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We can't be so spiritually minded that we're of no earthly use. But the truth that we are eternal beings and that we are living for something much greater than this tiny little world that we're going to live in, the truth that no matter how much any of us accumulate, it's all going to end up being left behind. You can't take it with you. In the end, it all burns with a fervent heat. It should change something about the way we understand why am I here? What is my purpose? How should I live? We should live with a mindset that says, I want to use my life to impact this world for His glory. I want to make a difference with eternal things. I want to take the talents that God has given me. I want to use the things that God has given me. I want to use these hands of mine. I want to use this mouth of mine. I want to use the wisdom that God has given me. I want to use the career that God has given me. I want to use the life that God has given me to ultimately point people to Jesus. Because in the end, that's what will make a difference. You are a created being. You are an eternal being. This is why Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's an interesting concept. And as you already saw, I'm a numbers guy. I like to crunch the numbers. You want to know a number I tried to crunch one time and it was impossible? I actually tried to crunch it, though. The value of the earth. We could do it like with Derby. It'd take some time, but we could actually come up with a dollar value of what it'd take to purchase every building in Derby, Kansas. The whole property, all the land, and actually own Derby. But imagine whatever that figure is of every nation on the earth, every square foot of land, every building. Imagine whatever it is. And here's what Jesus said. Let's, if, in theory, it's impossible, just if a man could in fact gain the whole world, own it all, it still wouldn't be as worth the value of his single soul. Shows us how temporary earth is and how valuable eternity is. It's no wonder that Solomon said, and more than likely, uh, at least in comparison to the other men on earth, nobody's ever had the wealth that Solomon did percentage-wise in his day. Solomon had it all. I mean, he was, he had fame, he had fortune, you name it, Solomon had it. And then you look at what Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, and here's what he basically said. If you read the whole book of Ecclesiastes, he basically says this, and it's all worthless. It's vanity. And you know what the word vanity means? Most of us don't know because we've heard it used, it's kind of used in the right context, but what vanity literally means is fleeting. Vanity literally means like a little puff of smoke that's there and then it's just gone. You can't get it back. It just disappeared. That's what vanity literally means, fleeting. Solomon said that's what it is. It's like here, it's gone, it's fleeting. There's, 
all of it. It's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's all vanity. And he says, in the end, what really matters is to fear God and keep his commandments. You are an eternal being. I am an eternal being. Now, when we think about it, when I make those statements, you are an eternal being, I am an eternal being, we need to think about those things. But even the statement is a kind of a me statement. How does this affect me? When we stop and realize that there are untold millions surrounding us that are also eternal beings, that if they are not rescued, are going to spend forever in hell, it provides some clues into what we need to be doing with our lives. You want to know what your purpose is with your life? I'm going to tell you, if you're, if you're following God, you want what the will of God is for your life. If you're following God, it's going to fit somewhere inside of this big capacity of we are all using our gifts and our talents to rescue the perishing, to point as many people to Jesus as we can. The worth of a man's soul is immeasurable. Number three, man is a sinful being. It's important we understand that. So if God has his mind on us, if God created us, if we are eternal beings meant to be in a relationship with God, and God loves us so much, then what went wrong? Why is the world so full of chaos and pain and suffering? The answer to that question is because we, mankind, we are a sinful people. The havoc in the world is evidence there is a serious problem, and the Bible calls it sin. And sin separates us from a holy God. If you're listening to me this morning and you are not right with God, you are not saved, you need to know that sin separates you from God. But before you get your little feelings hurt about that, the same is true of all of us. Okay? There's not a single person here there's not a single person out there or a single person that's ever walked this planet save Jesus Christ that was sinless. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us need a Savior. But we've got to come to grips with the truth that the ultimate problem, it's not God, it's us. We sin. That ultimately means we have chosen to disagree with God. We don't believe God knows what's best. We don't believe in God's rules. We don't believe in God's commands. We don't believe when God says, thou shalt not. Instead, we make our own rules and our own laws, and in doing so, we sin against a holy God, ultimately separating us from the very God who created us, remember, to be in a relationship with Him. And you know what that causes? It causes us to wander trying to figure out why am I here? What is my purpose? And in context of this message, this sermon series, we're ultimately all looking for peace. That's what we're looking for. The world knows there's something missing. There's something 
empty inside. And it's like, I need to, I, I need peace. I need purpose. I need to understand why I'm here. I need to understand what will make me happy. That's what most people are searching for. And, and the reality is there's only one answer, and that is that you embrace who you are, why you're created, and why you should be living your life. In fact, this brings me to my fourth point that Man is a lost being. God likens our wandering to being lost. Man is a lost being. Look at uh, verse uh, 53, uh, Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You want to know something about a sheep? When a sheep loses its way, it does not have the instinct how to get home. There are some um, studies that say the average sheep cannot see more than 15 feet. That's about the average vision of a sheep, 15 feet. So if it gets, it didn't have to get a long ways off. I mean, if it just gets a little ways away and it can't hear and it can't see the big flock, it'll just wander trying to find its way. The Bible says this is what man is like. All of us, we're like sheep that have gone astray. We've all gone after our own way. And just like a sheep that's not able to find itself back home, the shepherd must come find us. All of us wander in different directions. And you know, sometimes the stories of one man or one woman's wandering sounds more interesting than another's. And we often hear their stories more than others, and there's no secret, my story's one of those stories. But in the end, we were all still wandering. It's not some contest who wandered into the worst mud pen. And in the end, none of us knew the way back. We weren't able to figure it out on our own. And the great shepherd came to us and began to change some things and began to shake some things up. And be, For some of us, he had to straight pick us up on the shoulders and just bring us home. For others, he used this thing and this thing to direct us back forward. But when you look at your salvation story, there is one thing that all of us will say is consistent. We were like sheep wandering in the middle of nowhere and the Savior came to where we were, got a hold of us in one way or another and brought us back into his fold. Our God is the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. Man's a sinful being. He's a lost being. God's not quite done letting us know exactly how we are yet. God also says man is a blinded being. Now make no mistake about it, God's not trying to offend us. But in order for us to really know the solution, we have to understand where we're at and how we got there. Man is a blinded being. That's what God says. Look what 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says. Speaking of sinners, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Bible says man's a blinded being. If mankind could only see what lie ahead if he does not repent. We, the whole world, if they could just see it, they'd turn immediately and run the other way with every fiber of their being. But man is a blinded being. We're unable to see. This is important now because, right, we're, we're talking about the big picture of purpose. Do you know that if you were to see something incredibly clearly, maybe it's the most beautiful painting that um, you've ever seen, and you can see it, and you just want someone else to see. It does not really matter how well you describe it. It does not matter the enthusiasm with which you describe it. There's only one way that they can see it, and that is if their eyes are able to see it. You can bring a blind man in front of a picture and scream at him all day long to see it, see it, see it, see it. Here's what it is. I'm telling you what's there. Until his eyes are capable of seeing, he cannot see it. This, again, provides a clue into kind of our overall purpose. We see that it's not just rescuing the lost. That is what it is, but now we've got a bigger problem. It's not just finding the lost sheep and bringing him home. This is a blind sheep that can't see. And so now what do we do? We see this term of man being a blinded being teaches us that really in order for man to come to know God, this, this act of a miracle is going to have to occur. And there's only one that can do that, and that's God himself. And so now, two things must happen. First of all, to those of us that are trying to help rescue the perishing and trying to bring people to the saving knowledge of Christ, we need to understand it's not enough to just go win arguments, folks. It's not enough. And we should be able to explain the reason for our faith. I believe that we need to be able to provide, if you will, the argument, the reasonable, rational argument for why the Christian faith is something you can trust your life with. We need to be able to explain that, but that's not enough. We need to be able to go to where the lost sheep are and try to rescue the perishing and be reaching out, but that's not enough. We must understand we are trying to reach blinded beings, and thus we need the power of God. We need the help of God. We need to be praying and asking God to be with us and to work through us and to, and to open the eyes of the blind. Now, that's how we need to be responding, those of us that are in this fight together, that are, that are trying to win the lost and trying to bring glory to God. But if you're here this morning, if you're listening this morning and you are not right with God and there's a part of you that says, I want to believe, but I just can't, you're not the only person who's ever said that. It's even recorded in the Scriptures for us. A man came to Jesus needing some help and Ultimately, he said, Lord, uh, if, you know, can you do this? Are you willing? And Jesus said he was willing if you'll only believe. And here's what the man said. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. 
Maybe you're not at a place yet where you feel like you can sincerely and truly drop to your knees and cry out with a sincere heart, God, I know that you're God and I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. But maybe if you're not there, you're at least at a place where you can be honest enough to kneel before God and say, God, I don't understand it all. I'm not sure. I'm afraid that I'm blinded. I need you to open my eyes. Lord, would you open my eyes? We need the help of God to see Him for all that He is. To take the blinders off of our eyes, the blinders off of our hearts, to allow this heart of ours to to be able to hear the Lord, to be able to see the Lord. If people could only see what lays ahead of them, our churches would be filled. You know, because man is blind, he's also unaware of God's nearness to him. If you lived your life blinded, or maybe you weren't raised in church and raised around the moving of the Spirit of God, when the Lord opens your eyes, it's just difficult to put the words into place to realize He's there. I'll never forget when I got saved, while I was elated, my life was changed, there was also a part of me that was angry. Angry that I had spent 20 years not knowing that God was real and not knowing that God was near. Believing that if God existed, that somehow He was out there a billion miles away and I needed somehow to find the right rocket ship to take me to where God was so that I could meet Him. Believing that God only revealed Himself in maybe some weird place that I could never find. When in reality, God was there the whole time. He was there. You know why I didn't know? I was blind. I couldn't see. I didn't know. And I was angry about that. I was frustrated to think I could have lived so long and not known this God who had now opened my eyes and I saw Him for what He was. But often we are not aware of His presence because we're not tuned in you will find that true salvation, being born again, spiritual birth, it tunes us into the spiritual world. And there is only one way for spiritual birth, and that is through Jesus Christ. You've got to come to Him, brothers and sisters. What is man that you are mindful of Him? Take everything I've said so far into account. Man's a sinful being who turned his back on God. He's a lost being. He's a blind being. And now think about that question. But what is man that Lord, the Lord is mindful of us? After all of that, God still thinks of you. He still thinks of me. He still thinks of us. And how much more does this say about the goodness of God than it does the depravity of man? I don't like preaching on the depravity of man. It's necessary. But when you stop and realize, no matter how depraved we are, no matter how much we've gone astray, no matter how wicked we've lived, no matter how blind we are, God is still mindful of us. 
It shows us that the goodness of God and the grace of God and the greatness of God is far superior to our depravity. I'll tell you a statement that helped me a lot. It's a hard statement to swallow. Some of you aren't going to like it. Some of you can disagree with it. But I'm just going to tell you it helped me a lot. And I believe it's true. My ability to mess things up is not greater than God's ability to fix them. Now, that's not some lame excuse to go out and make stupid choices, but I'm just telling you. I don't care how spiritual you are, and I don't care how holy you are, you will find yourself making bad choices and mistakes and at times getting trapped in sin. And for years, I was terrified as a Christian. One of these days, somehow, some way, stupid me, is going to cross a line that is just too far for God to ever use me again. And one of the most freeing things that I ever learned was that the grace of God is greater than our sins. And that God's love for me and His ability to keep me is greater than my ability to mess it up. And I'm telling you, when I saw that truth, it didn't make me want to go out and live like a fool. It made me appreciate the greatness of God all the more, and I didn't want to abuse it one bit. But it did begin to set me free when I began to realize, spend a little less time focusing on the depravity and a little more time realizing that God has an answer to all this. God has a solution to all of this. God was well aware of it. This is why Jesus came. This is why the blood had to be shed. And when you look at the cross, you see a God who on one hand, He hates sin so much it had to be dealt with in the most awful and ferocious way that we could ever imagine. On the other hand, it is a picture of how much He loved us and how much He was willing to go through so that we could be saved and be in a relationship with Him. Which leads me to my final part. God is good, God is loving, God is patient, God is merciful, God is gracious, He is the great I Am. And if He would love us and pursue us after all of this, surely we should run to Him and find mercy in His arms. Which leads me to the final and most important point this morning, and that is that man can be a new being. You don't have to stay where you are. There is a way out. Jesus has made a way of escape. Jesus has made a way out of the mess that mankind is in. Old things can pass away and all things can be made new. Look what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's so hard, almost impossible, to express what really happens at new birth. It's just hard. It's like literally trying to show a blind man something. It's like trying to explain something to a deaf person. It's just hard. It's, if not impossible... I remember when I got saved, old things passed away, all things became new. And just like that, for me, I just wanted to honor God all of a sudden, a God that I didn't even believe existed the week before. Like, I wanted to go to church. 
In fact, I couldn't wait for the next time I could go to hear the Word of God taught because I was so hungry to know it. I didn't know what it said. And it's like, I, I want to have church every night. 20-year-old who had come from a really crazy life. And it's like, that's all I wanted. I'm telling you, all things became new. And it's like, I can't explain it. It was a supernatural thing that happened inside of me, and all of a sudden, I had new desires. Now, was there a battle there sometimes? Yes. Did I still find myself this kind of internal battle of do I want to follow the Lord in this scenario, or do I want to be selfish? Sure, there was some of that, but I'm telling you, I was an absolutely, completely different person. In fact, the things that I used to do that I still found myself kind of struggling with when I would fall and sin, I was super ashamed. Like I hated it. it. Made me feel terrible. Rewind three months previously, I didn't care. That's what everybody does. No shame. But now, the same thing that I had no shame three months previous, I am convicted like crazy when I find myself acting like that way. I was a new person. I was born again, and it's so difficult to explain that to somebody because there are a lot of people that think that the Holy Spirit is dealing with their life, and they're thinking this deep inside. Here's what they're thinking. I know this is right. I know what I need to do, but I don't want to. I hate coming to church. I hate sitting through this stuff. I hate the thought of what my life would look like if I decided to follow Jesus. And, and, and you're trying to understand what it will look like without understanding being born again. You're trying to picture yourself serving God with the same attitude you have now. And all I can tell you is that's not the way it's going to be. That's just not the way it works. If you will cry out to God and truly surrender to Him, asking Him to forgive you of your sins, to transform your life, to cause you to be born again, to give you a new nature, you have no idea how you're going to think on the other side of that event. You have no idea what your desires will be like then. And only God can give you those desires. This morning, if that has not happened in your life, nothing else really matters. That's the most important thing in your entire life that needs to happen. And I will tell you, I'm not trying to be mean about it. I'm not trying to be snarky about it. I'm trying to be as honest, professional as I can this morning. If you don't get right with God, you will never find true peace. You just won't. And I'm not trying to be snarky. It's just, you won't. You were created for Him. You were created by Him and for Him. Your entire purpose is wrapped up in a right relationship with Him. And until that relationship is right, you can spend your life like the rest of the world, chasing meaning and purpose, but you'll never find it. So if that's you this morning, I plead with you. Come to Jesus. Turn to Him. And you might be like that man that Jesus spoke with, that his faith was not quite there. 
At least have enough integrity to just pray and say that. God, I kind of believe, I think I believe, but there's a part of me that has unbelief. Just help me with all of this. Just That's a starting place. Start moving in that direction, talking to God, building a relationship with God. For those of us this morning that have made that step, I hope a couple things happen as we begin to study peace. We have to remember our ultimate purpose. It's so easy to get trapped up and going the wrong direction and looking for the wrong things, and then all of a sudden it's, it's like something's off. You can't always put your finger on it, but something's off, and it's like I'm anxious, I'm kind of nervous, things are, I'm fearful, I'm worried, and you'll find that most of, the time when you, most of the time in your life when you look at that, you'll find that you're focusing on temporary things that don't have a whole lot of application in the great big you know, scale of why am I here, ultimately is to have a relationship with God and to bring others into that same relationship. And so what can I do today to make that happen? You'll find you start focusing back on that and you start living for that, that a lot of the things that were bringing you down, um, all of a sudden they're not near as important. Secondly, I pray that somehow that this fire can kind of be ignited once again in the hearts of the Well Worship Center where we see that we need to be winning the lost. Uh, we need to have a, a mind that there's only so many times we get to do this, folks. That truth applies to just about everything you think of. You might hate your current job, but there are only so many times you will ever be able to have a conversation with the people you work with. You might have a hard time with certain people in your life, and you might... The principle applies in everything we do. There's only so many times we've got to do this. And brothers and sisters, we have got to be reaching out and trying to win the lost. We've got to recognize, oh, they are blind people, and so we need the help of God. It ain't just about kicking down doors and winning arguments. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. God's going to have to open their eyes, and so, Lord, it's sort of like there's a very little part of me in all of this. I'm just be willing to be used. I'll talk if you'll open the door, but you're going to have to open their heart. You're going to have to open their ears, but I'm willing, God. Here I am if you'll just open the door. Brothers and sisters, there's only, only so many times we get to do this. In the weeks to come, I'm going to deal with, uh, Chris, if you guys want to come, I'm going to deal with some of the more specifics, like mercy. How does it apply? Because you're going to find even as a Christian, when you are living the big picture, there are little things that the enemy, little darts the enemy will throw at us to try to steal your peace. We're going to look at some of the uh, attributes of God that when we understand the way they work, when we look at things through His lens and we understand how mercy is applied, when we understand how great and magnificent grace is, it changes things. I said it last week, and we need to have a sense of peace about us, a sense of joy about us when we're out evangelizing, trying to win the loss, and talking to people about Jesus. There needs to be a sense of confidence that our God is good, and that because we are His and He is ours, we've got every reason in the world to have a smile on our face and a sense of just joy and peace. You'll find the enemy knows that we are most successful when we walk in that sense of confidence. 
So he sets out to do everything he can to make you feel like God, you're, you're not right with God and God doesn't love you and God, you should be ashamed and you should live your life in this. And so, and then all of a sudden we seem paralyzed, right? It's like, well, like, God's gonna have to do somebody else. I'm telling you, as we study the Word of God in the weeks to come, I'm gonna do everything in my power to light that fire in you. To get your eyes off of you, get your eyes on Him and recognize your God's gonna finish what He started. God never loses. Your Father is the one who has never lost, not a battle. You know we talk about losing the battle but winning the war? Not so with God. There's never been a battle He's lost. There's never even been a battle that He was close to losing. He is in divine control at all times and we should have a sense of peace that our God is with us.